we are going to anchor in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 this morning. This year, well every year when I preach, I try and have a theme about what I will be preaching through during the year, just so there's a little bit of continuity when you see me standing up here. And this year I have wanted to preach through what I call anchor points. They're verses that are often common to the saints. We go, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that verse and I can recite that verse. Great. But what's it mean? And I wanted to dig in to give us something that we can, no kidding, drive the roots of our lives into. In January, we looked at our great salvation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And February, we looked at Galatians 6, 9 about persevering. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for we will reap if we do not lose hope. In May, we looked at temptation, that no temptation has overtaken us except which is common to man. In July, we looked at the awesomeness of God as just and justifier, that our salvation is really found in him. And then in July and August, we looked at the glories of God's creation in man. That God created us in his image. What does that mean? And that God did, in fact, create us male and female. Today, we're going to look back at, like the first sermon, at the treasure of our salvation. Now, in a museum, when you put a treasure on display, you don't mask it. You don't want the pedestal to be so ornate that it, it, it blinds you to the little bitty vase that's on top. You want something that will call your eyes and your attention to the treasure. You don't want some extraordinary masterpiece in such an ornate frame that you don't even see the masterpiece. If you're going to go look at diamonds and gems in a jewelry store, the jeweler is not going to pull out some busily patterned cloth and put the gems on the cloth. You go, I can't see them. He's going to pull out a black cloth, put the gems on top of that so that you can see the gems. And you're not distracted by the cloth. Paul highlights in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this truth. This morning we are going to savor this verse as an anchor point for our souls. Um, often in this world we get to wondering about our value. You know, what am I? Who am I? What good am I? And oddly, Paul is going to bolster your joy and your spirit by reminding you today that you're little more than a clay pot. And that's a good thing. The verse, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come before you so easy to be distracted by the things of this world. Oh, what are we doing this afternoon? What did I do yesterday? Help us to hear your voice through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Father, guard our hearts and minds. God, I beg that you would be, watch over my lips, guard my lips, that you would be exalted in this place, that the hearts and minds of the saints would soar in the glory of the God that you are, that we would be the men and women you would have us to be as we hear your word this morning. We beg in Jesus' name, amen. We have this treasure in jars of clay. You go, okay, what treasure? <laughs> what treasure is he speaking of? And that's probably one of the greatest dangers of playing Bible roulette, where you're going, ding, and you look for a verse, okay? Because you miss the context. You miss the chapter in which that verse is placed. You miss the book in which that verse lives, and it lives within the fullness of Scripture. And so you have to go, why is that there? I can't pl plunge in, pluck it out, and apply it wrongly to my life, or it will be a mess. So let's back up one verse to verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. God has done a work. Well, what is the extent of the work? Let's back up a few more verses and understand the predicament of man in verses three and four. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory, sorry, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The good news of redemption goes out to a people who aren't hearing it. They are blinded to this. They are, the, the gospel is veiled. Their ears don't hear it. The lost do not see as we at one time did not see. I don't get it. Why do you people bother with this? Why do they not see? Why do the blind not see? Because they're blind. And some of this blindness happens in the spiritual realm. Satan, Paul says here, is blinding people to see the gospel. But not only does Satan have a hand in this, we ourselves have a hand in this. Men and women of their own accord choose to reject God. Romans 1, 21, Paul writes, although they knew God, just from the creation manifest around them, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They did not honor God. They did not give him thanks. Our ladies are currently walking through James as the men did here a little bit ago. And James tell, tells us that we are tempted by our own desires. Our own desires. I mean, Satan doesn't have to do anything and we're, we're off-roading in rebellion and treason against the living God. So we have a hand in our blindness, and Satan 
has a hand in this blindness. It's a tag team effort, and thus it needs to be a work of God as noted in verse six. God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts. Light shining in a dark place, exposing the nature of what is and what was. And in that light, we see the glory and the goodness and the beauty of who he is. We read Psalm 119, verse 130 last week here. It says, the unfolding of your word gives light to the simple. The unfolding of your word gives light to the simple. It illuminates us to do what? To give us the knowledge of the glory of God. How? Verse 6 says, in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the treasure that we have. Knowledge of God. And it's not mere fact knowing. I can know, I can know scripture cold. There are, there are dudes out there who know scripture way better than I do who do not know God as God. They do not have a relationship. To know is more than just facts. To know is to have intimate relationship with another person. God illuminates so that we might behold the beauty of the face of Jesus Christ. How glorious is this treasure? In John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm not, by the way, on the, there's an outline out there. I'm going to go through a lot of verses here. So if you miss any of them, they're all on that outline. John chapter 1, verse 14. John writes, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He's talking about Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, what, what would you cash in to have that knowledge? I mean, what would you give to, man, I'd give anything to, to have relationship and fellowship with Christ if I understood the treasure that it is. And Paul got it. Paul got it so much that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and verse 10, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him. Again, there's that knowing him, know him and the power. There's power again, the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was chief to the Sanhedrin. He had people listening to him there and he calls it all rubbish. All that he had, all that he was, rubbish to know this treasure, Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ, he's, he's no mere man. He is no mere man. There is no inherent glory as I look around this room. You are just biological entities. But John wrote in his gospel, we have seen his glory. Later on, the night before his death, Philip's going, show us the Father. You know, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And Philip says, show us the Father. We want to see. We want to open the heavens, peak, so I can look. So I can look up and see the glory of God. We want to see it. And Jesus looked at Philip and said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you, how can you say, show us the Father? This is our treasure. So glorious is the Son of God that a little bit later that same night in John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26, John records Jesus' prayer to the Father. John 17 is all a prayer of Jesus Christ to the Father. Extraordinary. At the end of this prayer in John 17, verses 24 and 26, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I in them. That is our treasure. Jesus Christ is our treasure. Not that we may see the streets of gold. Not that we may be without back pain. Not that we may see clearly without glasses. Not that I can hear again but that we may see his glory and be with him. That is the treasure we consider. Consider your salvation. How far from God were you before the gospel came to you? How certain was your condemnation? How severe was your destined punishment? both in this life and the next. How hopeless was your predicament? Consider what God did in your life to open your eyes. Consider this treasure. Who did he bring into your life to speak gospel truth to you, to help you to see your sin before a righteous and just God? to help you see your just condemnation. How low did he take you in your journey before he brought you back up? What did he allow to happen to you that opened your eyes? How long was it before he removed the scales from your eyes and you could see? Consider the treasure that is your salvation. Consider the joy and glory of your life now. And that's kind of what this sermon is about. But also consider looking ahead. 
What do we have to look forward to? I shared with you guys uh, the death of my friend um, Redwood, Steve Young. I want to call him Redwood. He was a believer. We talked about Christ all the time at work, and poof, died. Poof, died this week. I know right now, today, Redwood is in glory, and I know that I will see him again. There is so much to consider with regard to our salvation. There are so many facets to this treasure. Man, if, if you're thinking about it for 10 minutes and you get bored, you're not thinking enough. You're not, you're not in God's word deep enough to understand the greatness of this treasure that is our salvation in the face of Jesus Christ. And one day we will see him face to face. This is the treasure of which Paul speaks here in 2 Corinthians. But here's the kicker. He says, we have this treasure. It's not like you might have this treasure. Saint, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have this treasure. It's done. In John chapter 10, Verses 27 to 30, Jesus speaks of the certainty of your salvation. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Is that absolute enough? He continues, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Is that complete enough? My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. It's a done deal. I and the father are one. He knows his sheep. He gives them eternal life. You will never perish. This salvation is yours. This treasure is yours. You have this treasure. A couple other verses here just to anchor your certainty. Jeremy preached through Ephesians chapter 1. We just read it here a little bit earlier, Zach did. Uh, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is your guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. You were sealed. You were branded. Think a calf on the old west. You were tattooed. Mine. You're his. Romans 8.1, back in January. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are innocent. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed, stuck on you. There is no condemnation. You have this salvation. Romans 8, verse 39, Paul tells the church at Rome, nothing, 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. It is certain you have this salvation. And then oddly, Paul notes that this salvation is wrapped in dirt. <laughs> we have this treasure in jars of clay. Oh, that's, wow. What, what, what's a, a jar of clay? Okay, this is, this is not some porcelain vase that you would find in a museum behind glass. So little kids would knock it over. Not that kind of pot. This is a common pot. This is a common Middle East pottery pot. What was it used for? Storage of things, storage of food. They didn't have Tupperware, so that's where they put the grain and stuff. And guess what else they put there? Refuse. Okay, they, that was your urinal. That was your outhouse. You would use a clay pot. This is man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. You are a clay pot. You are of the elements of the earth. Psalm 103, verse 14 says the same thing, that God remembers you're just dust. He knows it. He's not surprised he made you. He knows this full well. And in the curse, God tells Adam in Genesis 3, 19, dust you are and to dust you will return. And you may be sitting there going, okay, dude, that's not very helpful. I already struggle with the fact that I think I'm dust. I already struggle with the fact that I think I am dirt. I don't need someone else kicking me in the gut. I don't need somebody else kicking me in the shins with that. I get it. I get it. I struggle with this. Satan sits on my shoulder and he whispers in my ear and reminds me of my sin. He doesn't just remind me of my sin. My wife knows this. He reminds me of my failures. Ask me sometime the story about changing the battery in my car. Okay. I mean, my failures. And he brings them up over and over and over again. So how is the fact that I'm a refuse jar supposed to make me feel chipper? Let's consider some implications. How is it that you came to Christ? We had no boasting before God. None. In our pride, it's easy for us to say, oh, look at me. You know, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've earned. Look what I've created. Look how I've ministered. And God says, that's all me. God's going, Junior, that's all me. What are you apart from how I have made you, apart from what I have given you? Well, you go, I've honed my skills. And God says, I've given you the strength and the wisdom to pursue such things. Well, I've made wise investments. God's going, I'm the one who makes the corn grow and flourish. Well, I've raised these children. And God goes, I conceived every one of them. Sorry. I conceived every one of them. I have nurtured their hearts. I hold your very molecules 
together. And this is especially true of our salvation. I could not see my sin until God opened my eyes. I could not fathom his holiness until God opened my eyes. I had no desire to repent until God changed my heart to see the squalor of my sin. We cannot believe in God until he has given us the faith to do so. So coming to God, we were jars of clay. But you know what? We're still jars of clay. It is a reality. It is not an insult. And it is good news. I mean, look at us. Consider David Everett, who's not here with us today because of his body. Think of the physical maladies those in our church and those we know are suffering. Not only consider our physical maladies, but consider your sin. Consider the sin that you still battle. How long have you known Christ as Savior? Consider the junior high school attitudes that erupt from your heart and from your mouth toward those you love and to people you don't even know. Because of the treasure, God is doing his work from the inside out. God is spurring us to Christ's likeness, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. God is spurring us from the inside out to transform us, Romans 12, 2, that we not be conformed to this world, but that we be transformed by the renewal of our minds. God is doing this work from the inside out. He is completing a work he has begun in us, Philippians 1, 6, to bring it completion to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are being transformed, every one of us who are believers, from one stage of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with veiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. At the same time, though, we have a responsibility before God with this treasure to adorn our jar to reveal the treasure within. Okay, this is not putting lipstick on a pig. Okay, you know, okay, let's make this jar look pretty because we're always going to be jars of clay. That is the truth. But God does call us to a life of holiness that would glorify him and glorify Christ in our feeble lives. In essence, he's calling us to be the best jar of clay that you can be in his power and in his strength. First Peter 1.16 says, Be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. And he is calling 
the saints that he is writing to in the dispersion to a sanctified life, to put away their sin and to be holy because that's what God calls them to. A little later in the same letter, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Jesus said that very thing in John chapter 13 after he washed the disciples' feet. He says, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, the CrossFit verses. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We are to train in godliness. In 1 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4, Peter puts his finger specifically in the chest of women, in the chest of wives, when he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold and jewelry. And again, it's not that he's condemning doing your hair up and jewelry or the like. But he's calling you, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I mean, consider how much time we spend on ourselves, making ourselves look nice. Do I spend half that time in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I pursue him with the fervor that I pursue my clothing, my hair, my makeup? To what end? Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 7 of 2 Corinthians, to show this, this clay pot thing, the treasure inside this clay pot is to show God's power. Show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You, saint, as an image bearer of the living God, parade his glory and majesty to the world around you. But notice in after verse 7, Paul highlights the, the clayness of our jars. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We see very much the clayness of our lives right there in those verses. We're going to suffer. We know this. Why, though? Notice that the end of verse 11, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested, shown through our clay pot, that the treasure would be seen through our fragility. The treasure of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he does this. Jump down to verse 15. It is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people. So is this truth? 
as, as the fact that this treasure goes out into the world in the clay pots such as you and I, this grace extends out to other people as well. And they see this as this grace then extends to more and more people, they grasp this treasure that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That more people through you might know this grace. That more people through you might offer up thanksgiving. That more people through you might bring glory to God. You clay pot you. That the treasure would shine in your life. I mean, what a cycle. God has lavished his glory on us. We savor that in our salvation. We go out and other people see that, hear the gospel, are changed, and God receives more glory for the work that he's doing in their lives. Paul highlighted that very thing in what Zach read earlier. I'm going to read it here slowly. May God give us ears to hear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Okay, adorn your pot. In love, God's love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Verse eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, making known to us because we couldn't get it, the mystery of his will. In verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, we were sealed as a guarantee to the praise again of his glory. It's a cycle. It's an extraordinary, glorious, wonderful cycle. God saves us not because he needs to, but for his glory and for our rich blessing. That this power, that we would see that this power belongs to him and not to us. So some considerations quick and wrapping up. First, you're going to suffer. You're going to know suffering and you're going to know failure. You are, after all, a jar of clay. But Paul exhorted the churches of southern Turkey in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't look for utopia in this life. It's going to be hard. Your pot's going to get chipped. Your pot's going to leak. And the glory of God is going to shine through you. Which takes us to the second thing is you don't have to be Superman. You're not. You can't be. You're just a clay pot. If you present yourself otherwise as someone who has it all together with the perfect marriage and a great job, your kids are National Honor Society and all conference and they don't have any zits, you mask the glory of God. You you're hiding it. Rather than letting God's glory show in your life, you're hiding it by showing how great you are. 
You hide the treasure and you exalt the pot. Don't. Third, it is, it is in your clayness, your brokenness and your fragility that you can truly know the greatness of the treasure that you have in Jesus Christ. When Paul wanted his clay jar turned into porcelain, when he wanted the thorn removed from his flesh, Jesus told him in this very letter, chapter 12 and verse 9 of 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, the treasure, is made perfect in your weakness, in your clayness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast the more gladly of my weakness, of my clayness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, that his power may be shown. For the sake of Christ, I am content with my weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, when I am clay, then I am strong. I know the treasure of my God, and he is glorified. So what do you do if you're at the end of your rope? You go, I am, I am so hurting. Plead with God. Paul did. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for you. Plead with God to remove this agony. And like Paul, he might not. That you might know the treasure. So plead with God, abide in his word, hold fast, hold fast to the truth of his word. And not only hold fast to those truths, but trust them. Trust them. And then don't just sit there. Take your next breath. And take your next step. As you do that, know that he will abide with you. Know that he will sustain you. Know that in so doing, you will know his majesty and his love in an even greater way. You will bask in his pleasure and in his glory. So let, let us rest in the truth that I'm just a jar of clay. That is a good thing because oh, the treasure that fills and anchors my soul. Let that treasure well up in praise as we close in song and let it well up to be evidenced to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, oh God, that we would not feel insulted that we are but dust, but that we would relish the fact that you have called us by name that you love us and you have lavished your favor and this treasure upon us that we might know you. Be glorified in your church and as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.